But what we're going to do this morning is look at one of the many visions given from heaven that are recorded in Scripture and see what we can learn from that revelation, that vision that God gave, enabling the prophet Zechariah to see something. So the first task this morning is to find the book of Zechariah. It's right near the end of the Bible. Last book but one. Sorry, of the, yeah, true. Of the Old Testament. That's, I, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good start, is it? Last book but one of the Old Testament. So this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's written in a particular genre, a particular style, which is called proto-apocalyptic, no less. And uh, it's written in a style that actually gets developed in Jewish writing over the few hundred years between the Old Testament and the New Testament and proper apocalyptic writing. A proper style of apocalyptic writing is what we get in the book of Revelation, which is right at the end of the New Testament. So there we go. Uh, what... We, we're turning to Zechariah chapter 4, which is entitled in the New International Version that I'm reading from, The Gold Lampstand and the Two Olive Trees. It's a vision that God gave to the prophet Zechariah, which I hope it will become clear through the morning, relates directly to us. And so uh, we want to pray that God would open our eyes this morning. That's been my prayer ahead of this morning. Not just that God would sort of tell us what to think or what to do, but that he would open our eyes just as he once opened the prophet Zechariah's eyes to see something that had been hidden until then. So can we take a moment to pray? And uh, if you'd like God to open your eyes to see something new, then pray along with me and add your amen in just a moment's time. Father God, we recognize that we are limited in our humanity. Actually, the scripture says that we're just like the grass of the field and uh, so fragile. And you are the Lord of eternity. You are the source of all life. Creator God, you see all and you know all. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. You sustain us. And there is so much that you know that we don't. There's so much that we don't see. I thank you that you're not a God who likes to keep secrets from us. But a God who reveals mysteries. Scripturally, we know that mysteries, it's amazing and not just things that are hidden, but things that are hidden and you've made known to us. We pray this morning for a revealing of mysteries, that you would enable us to see each one of us more of the reality of your kingdom and of what you're doing in us, amongst us, through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the context of the book of Zechariah is that it's written after a number of the exiles have come back from Babylon. They have returned to Jerusalem and their leaders, who are the high priest Joshua and Prince Zerubbabel, are seeking to rebuild the temple of God. This task of rebuilding the temple of God was hard work. It was slow and they faced opposition. And it's in that context 
that Zechariah has this series of visions. So in chapter 4, it says this. Then, because he's already been having some visions, then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other one on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? And he answered, don't you know? Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the earth. And then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, don't you know? Do you not know what these are? No! My, I don't know what tone of voice Zechariah said that to the angel. I, I would have probably been somewhere around about, no! But maybe he was more humble than me. No, my lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Well, there's a vision and a half. Try and draw that in a picture. It's interesting to me that this passage starts with Zechariah being woken up. Some of you will remember about 18 months ago when Roy Godwin, from the, who's based at the retreat centre Falderbrennan in West Wales, was here and shared a word with us. He said, share whatever puts on your heart. And he said, God says, wake up. You've been sleepwalking spiritually speaking, and you need to wake up. This passage starts with the angel coming to Zechariah to say, wake up. This morning I want to say to you, I believe that the season is changing. The word of God to us was, wake up. Believe that this morning God wants to say, the season is changing. I have a new question. It's not an instruction, it's a question. And the question is, what do you see? Now that you're awake, 
Now that I've stimulated you afresh to the importance of spiritual things, what do you see? We can learn a lot from what Zechariah saw. First of all, well, it wasn't first of all, but I'm going to start here because it will enable me to explain it a little bit more quickly, which you'll all appreciate. Zechariah saw two olive trees, two olive trees. It's widely accepted by scholars that these two olive trees represent the two key characters in the public life of the nation of Israel, and in particular in Jerusalem at this time. The two key roles in the public life of the nation of Israel were the kings who were anointed with olive oil as a sign of the spirit being upon them, and the priests who were anointed with olive oil as a sign of the Spirit of God being upon them too. These two functions, kings and priests, were the mainstay of public life. And these were the two kinds of people that we know were at the forefront of what God was doing in Jerusalem at this time. Joshua, the high priest, and Prince Zerubbabel. Great name. Both anointed roles, roles in which this olive oil was placed, fine olive oil placed upon people as a sign of the spiritual anointing that came upon them. Actually, these two roles represent what it means to be made in God's image. At the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, where it talks about the creation of humanity, it describes how God says, let's make man, man and woman, in our own image, and gives these two uh, instructions to increase in number and to rule the earth. There's this plan that there will be more and more and more and more and more people in the world ruling it on God's behalf, but critically in relationship with him. These are the two main things that it means to be human, to be in relationship with God And through that relationship, to be everything that we're meant to be and rule the world in his wisdom, love, power. These are the two things that people were anointed to do in the nation of Israel. Kings ruling, prophets, sorry, priests rather, introducing people to God, dealing with what stood in the way of people's relationship with God. When Zechariah asks who they are, and he asks several times, he's not told their names. Because there's a reason why he's not told their names, because it's not their names that matter most. Having our eyes opened to see things from God's perspective, it's not what, it's not the individuals concerned that are the main point of this vision. The main point of this vision is that it's the anointing that counts. What really matters is that people have received the Holy Spirit and are living in relationship with God and are walking day by day in the power of the Spirit as God enables them to live according to his will and through that to see his kingdom come. So easily we're caught up in, yeah, but... But who are they? 
We might sometimes ask a different question when somebody seems to be successful. Who do they think they are? Or if someone's struggling, thinking, well, who are they? God wants to take our eyes off those questions of name and rank and career and all of that stuff. Status, human social status. Who are these people? And draw our attention to the critical factor. It's not vision for the Christian church. It's not primarily about what we are doing. It's primarily about what God is doing by his spirit. It's the spirit that counts. So as we ask this question, as we... As I say to you this morning, oh, see, see, what is there to see? The main thing for us to see is not what we're doing or what we should be doing. The main thing is what's God doing? We see that in the vision given to Zechariah. He's wanting to get at the human aspect of it. Yeah, but who's doing what here? And the angel keeps answering him by pointing to the spirit. He says, who are these, verse 4? The angel says to me, "Mm, not by might, not by power, by the Spirit. It's about the Spirit. When he asks the question later again, he says, who are these trees? Who are these olive branches? Who are they? Who are they? Verse 14, the angel says, they're the anointed ones. That's the focus that God wants to raise amongst us. Do we see what God is doing? If we're awake spiritually, walking with him, do we see what God is doing? So what I'd like to share with you this morning really is something of a story of what I see God is doing in our city. Not just with us, because there's a bigger picture just some of what God is doing in our city. These aren't only my own thoughts. So we'll see in a moment, they fit and come out of what is here in Zechariah. They are the fruit of conversations I've had with other leaders of churches in the city, conversations with many of you as well. The lampstand, then. We come to the golden lampstand with its seven lights. To cut to the chase, this lampstand in Zechariah's vision is for us now a picture of the church. Within the horizon of the Old Testament and the way in which Zechariah's listeners, his contemporaries would have heard it, there were three ways that they might have understood this lamp. They may have thought of the presence of God because there was a lamp lit in the temple in Jerusalem that was meant to remind people of the glory of God. And so a big lamp, a glorious lamp like this might have made them think of the presence of God. Actually, in the generation in which they were living, with the temple being rebuilt, they may have thought of the temple itself. Elsewhere, it's prophesied that the people of God would be a light to all nations. 
So they may have thought of them, this as a picture of the people of God, the community of God. And that's what scholars tell us, that this lampstand could have originally represented the presence of God, the temple of God, the people of God. But for us today, it's simple. Because for us today, all of those three things come together in Christ. We, the church, are now the temple of God. We, the community of God's people, are like living stones built together into a holy temple, the New Testament tells us, in which God dwells. It's there, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So whichever of those meanings this lampstand had originally, whether one or all of those, they all come together for us and speak to us of the reality of who we are as God's people, as the community of Christ. In fact, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world, speaking to his community, to his family, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. This is what Isaiah had prophesied even before Zechariah. Arise, arise, shine. What a great command. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. So nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This lampstand speaks of a community that shines for all to see. A community that is radiant. A beautiful bride for Christ. Do we see what God is doing with his people, the church? Do we see the beauty and the glory of what God is doing? Even in our environment, here in the city, God is building a radiant church for all to see. I don't know if you see, do you see that? God is building a radiant church for all to see. In the 19th century, there were 30 new local churches created in Oxford. They were mostly built within the newly built communities, like East Oxford and Summertown and so on. And most were connected directly to those local communities and to the public life of the city. 30 new churches in 100 years. Between 1900 and 1970, just five new churches were begun. 
Then, from 1970, God began to do a new thing. In fact, from 1970 until quite recently, the population growth of the city plateaued, slowed right down. But in contrast, new churches started getting planted left, right and centre. There has been a major wave of new churches being planted in this city. I don't think I know of all of them, but I could name more than 40 churches that have been planted in the last 40 years. 100 years, 30 churches. 70 years, 5 churches. 45 years now, 44 years, another 40 churches planted at a time when, at least from 1970 to the turn of the millennium, the growth of the city as a whole had slowed right down. God's doing something new. And it's not just that there are new churches, but God has done something new in existing congregations. Many existing congregations in this city came alive in a whole new way to the work of the Holy Spirit, And all in all, that has amounted to a profound renewal of spiritual identity in Christ. This is amazing. If you were to travel back in time to the 1960s and grab an Oxford churchgoer off the street and bring them back to our present time, they would be astonished at what God has done. This was not something that people imagined would happen. God is building his radiant church. If we look at it closely, he's doing it in a particular way. In a way that's different to what he's done in other places. God has not built a single megachurch for the city that draws media attention. He's done that in other places, but not here. He has not simply breathed new life into the existing churches that have those connections into public life. He could have done, but that's not what's happened. Some of those churches, yes, but you could not characterize all that God has done as renewing the churches that impact public life. He's done something different. What he's done is birth a range of diverse churches that reflect some of the cultural diversity that we now know and enjoy in our city. He's birthed a huge range of diverse churches relating to many different cultures and places around the city. Through Love Oxford, which many of you will know about, if you don't ask someone at the end of the meeting, and Hope 08, which some of you may have never known about or even forgotten, but nonetheless a significant thing that God did in the city five years ago, these diverse churches have displayed real unity. And together we recognize that our diversity has been designed by God 
to provide many churches that between them allowed people from many of Oxford's different subcultures to step easily into the orbit of Christian community. God has done a work with the city in mind. First of all, there was this profound renewal of identity in Christ. People understood more of the life of the Spirit than they'd seen before, got hold of the Scriptures afresh. Renewed identity in Christ. Secondly, God has created diverse expressions of the church that make us fit to reach this city for Christ. That's what he's done. However, these are great foundations, but the temple's not yet been built. The church in the city is poised for huge impact. What God has done amongst us means we are poised to see this city transformed. But most of the churches that have begun in the city remain very largely separate from public life, very largely disconnected from the communities that they are among. Churches tend to do outreach projects rather than really share life with the community of unbelievers that are around. And for that reason, it's no great surprise that none of these churches are seeing many people born again. I've asked this question of leaders of other churches in the city. So which of us are seeing people born again? Is there a single church in the city that's seen more than 20 people born again and added to their number in the last year? It's a question that I've asked. The answer is... No. No one is. So here we are. God has done a great thing. It's amazing what God has done. Truly incredible. And he's keeping on doing it, don't you know? People keep coming to the city to plant even more diverse array of churches. The way I see it is this. It's like God has put in an amazing foundation. If we were to go back 50 years ago, we would not imagine the quality and strength of the foundation that God has put into the church in the city here. But now is the time for steady growth in all these churches. It's not enough that there's all of these gathering points with their diversity that could, in principle, be places that people can come and touch the life of God. There's a need for steady growth. That's the new season. God said to us 18 months ago, wake up! He's now asking, what do you see? What do you see? I see incredible foundations. I see a work of God to prepare for an astonishing future. And the season that we're entering 
is a season of steady growth, brick on brick on brick. This is the new thing that God is bringing to the church in the city, and it's an, it's an anointing. It doesn't just happen, does it? Uh, different ones of us, many of us here at different times have sought to draw people into community and share the life of God with them. And it doesn't just happen. It's a work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that counts. There's a bit more in this vision from Zechariah. In verse 7, there's this phrase, What are you, O mighty mountain? There's little explanation given of what this mountain is. But clearly it was something that stood in Zerubbabel's way. We know from reading in the book of Ezra, where the story of the rebuilding of the temple is recounted for us, that there was opposition from the people around. It says there that the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans. And they did this during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This was sustained opposition. It was a great mountain of obstacle that lay before Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people of Judah. It didn't stop. It went on and on and on. Doesn't, isn't that sometimes our experience too. Here am I talking about steady growth and God's doing an amazing thing. For many of us, we're thinking, well, hmm, I feel really opposed. I mean, great, but there's a, I'm sure there's a mountain somewhere. Oh, it's there in my way. Look at that. Before Zerubbabel, the mountain will become level ground. Opposition to us will feel like a mountain, immovable, eternal, so high you can't get over it, and all of that. Opposed, like a mountain. Also, feeling insignificant. This is what it talks about in verse 10. Who despises the day of small things? The word small here, uh, the Hebrew word is not the word that means like tiny as opposed to big. It's the word that they used for the youngest member of the family. So small, but really insignificant and unimportant in their way of thinking. Who despises the day of unimportant things? Who despises the insignificant day? Is that not how we can feel? Unimportant, insignificant. Sometimes it is to do with how big we are. 
even as lots of churches in the city have been planted, our congregation has shrunk. Those two facts may not be unrelated. We've accumulated a debt in recent years, as many of you will know. Certainly for me, those things tempt me to think that we are insignificant. But it's a temptation and not the truth. It's not just about us as a church. Across the city, church attendance is still declining. Not at the catastrophic rate that it was, but it's still going down. There is a growing ignorance of biblical truth, even to the point where many people lack an awareness even of what sin is. And it's in the face of that opposition and that feeling of insignificance that the angel says, verse 9, sorry, the words of the Lord came to Zechariah, verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Zerubbabel here is an anointed king. The anointed one. For actually, he's as an anointed prince. Not a... He's the anointed royal figure. He is the, Messi- he is the messiah of... His, yeah, I know. He's the Messiah of his day. The anointed one in the Hebrew language is Messiah. He is the Messiah figure here. And just as the lampstand spoke not only to Zechariah's contemporaries, but speaks to us today, so too this word speaks to us today. The one who is anointed will complete the task. We have Jesus, Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isaiah again prophesied along these lines. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word goes out from my mouth. It won't return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's what God's like. Jesus Christ didn't just come to start a new kingdom, but he's building, and he's building. And he has a plan, and he's working it out, and he who has laid the foundation will complete it. There's a promise of completion The capstone, we don't tend to have capstones so much as ridge tiles in our house, so there we are. He will place the final ridge tile. (laughs) Oh yes, there's a vision. He will complete the work that he has started. I'm not very good at completing things. I like starting things, 
and I like other people to finish them. Andrew's like, that's why Andrew and I work well together, because he, he is good at finishing things. So pray for him. And um, So in the last 40 years, God has reestablished a confident, joyous, evangelical, spirit-filled church in Oxford in many, many diverse expressions, more than I would ever have dreamt of. And he is now building on that foundation brick by brick by brick. Actually, for us as a church in OCC, um, we as a body have been a little bit, maybe it's because of the way I've led and the way that Steve Thomas led before me, but we've been often involved in starting new things. We were the first house church, as we were called then, in the city, planted out of the new charismatic renewal that rose up across the country and beyond in the 1970s. We were the first church in the city in recent times to plant another church in the city, and we planted the Lees Community Church, and now Lifehouse Community Church being planted too. Other churches have since done the same. St. Ebbs have planted in Headington. Headington Baptist Church have planted in Barton. We were the first church to decide that we would gather our students for fellowship in small groups. Before St. Ebbs did that and created Focus, before St. Old Eights formed student pastorates, God's often led us to do things first. We've been the first to start a free school in the city uh, or to take charge of an academy. Others are following. I believe that we are the first to be sending teams of people to Muslim nations to start church planting movements. We are the first church to determine that we won't just do outreach projects, but that our community and our mission must come together, what we call missional communities. But actually, as we've started to do that and cut our teeth on it over the last five years and paid the stupid tax of not knowing what we're doing and learning the lessons, <laughs> others are now following. It's often been the case that God has got... About five years ago, when we were hosting a national conference for Fusion, the student, national student movement, there was... Um, there's a guy called Alistair Bullen who was the chair, was, was then, I don't know if he still is, the chair of Fusion. And he has a prophetic gift and he came forward with a prophetic word for us as a church of which one part of it was that our role in the city was to be a rudder for the city. That that was a particular call on Oxford Community Church to be a rudder that points in a direction and that fits with the fact that again and again and again, we have been the first to do this and that. We're not, we haven't been the first to do everything, but it's been a strong strand of our culture and our history together to pioneer, to do new things, not to worry that there's not a framework in which to operate, but just to go out and make the framework as we go, or to let God do that. But I do believe that it's time for a change of season for us too. I'm sure there will be further new things in our future. But what God is saying is, I've built a foundation. The time is not now to query the foundation, 
to tear it up and take it elsewhere. It's time to build brick on brick on brick, steadily building brick on brick on brick. That's why we're doing the series that we are, one body, many parts. The bricks are people. We are living stones, and God is connecting us together. So over the coming weeks in this series, what we're going to be doing is looking at different aspects of community. What does it mean for us to serve each other? What does it mean for us to be hospitable? What does it mean for us to help each other grow spiritually, etc.? And there's lots for us to look at. We're going to be looking at all different angles of what it means for us to be connected to one another, brick on brick, built together as a community. So I'm just about done in what is an overview and an introduction to the series that lies ahead. We're going to do three more things before we finish this morning. We are going, I'm going to ask you a question in just a moment about your personal response to this vision do that in just a moment. After that, we're going to pray together, and we're going to pray generously for a situation beyond ourselves, and pray for God to build his church there. And then I think we're going to sing together, which is just a great way for us to express our corporate response to what God is saying to us. Okay, so the first thing is a very simple question. What is your connection Actually, who? Who is God connecting you to? It's the question. Very practical. The answer to this question has a name and a face and an address and a mobile number, probably. Who is God connecting you to? And secondly, are you willing to let others attach themselves to you. That may be a slightly more cutting question. Are you willing to let others attach themselves to you? It won't do for any of us to be willing to step on the top. I'll be the top brick on the wall. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for supporting me. Once you're there, God will want to start putting some other people on top that you can support in turn. We just take a moment to reflect on that. And um, just each one of us by ourselves to respond to God in prayer in our hearts. Whatever he's saying to you specifically out of all that I've said this morning, maybe you need to repent of having seen the church as an insignificant thing. Maybe you need to ask God to help you to be open to fresh connections. Maybe you know what connections you should make, but you've dithered. Whatever it may be, take a moment now to change your mind and to ask for God's help. Now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, and he has made the two one. This is speaking of communities and people that were separate. He has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile all to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Father God, we recognise that this call to this huge opportunity and privilege to be built together as a living temple is a choice that we should make. And, And many of us just made that choice afresh, or maybe for the first time. But we recognize, too, it's a battle. It's something that you paid a price for. It's something that the enemy of our souls opposes. I pray right now for any brothers and sisters here who have a real wrestle with trusting other people, with allowing others to come close, for whatever reason that may be, I pray that today would spark a journey of redemption and healing. That no one would be left on the edge. No one would be left alone, isolated by their own internal troubles. That you would break through that and cause us to be one family as we should be because of the cross. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I don't know how well you'll be able to see this. I'd like to invite you to join with me this morning in praying for the town of Bicester. I've got a pointer on this somewhere. There we go. Um, Can you see the little dot? That is the existing town of Bicester, which has about 30,000 people living in it, give or take. Uh, this is, map shows the same thing. There's the town of Bicester. The reason I've put both of these up here is there are two huge developments planned for Bicester. One of them is on this one here. The area goes around about there. There's going to be about 1,800 new homes built on that area there. Most of them have been built already, actually. It's called Kingsmere. On this map, it's that area there, just that bit there, another 1,800 homes Whereas this huge area here is a new eco-town that's being built with 6,000 new homes. And so Bicester is going to go from being a town of about 30,000 people to in excess of 50,000 people in the next four years. It is a moment of huge significance for that, that town. What goes on in the town over the next three to four years, is going to have significance for generations to come. These, there's going to be people living, working, and worshipping and praying in these places in the next few years, where there are currently empty fields. And what they do is going to set in place another foundation for the Church of Christ for generations to come in that place. The church in Bicester is in 
as a whole across BISTA is in pretty good shape. In the May half term, they're organising a week's mission altogether as churches across the town called Love BISTA. It would be great to pray about that. Our own church in BISTA, which we planted from here, well, from the city, 22 years ago, has been without a pastor since last summer when the existing pastor took a sideways step, Steve Begu, his name is, to become the principal of the King's School in Whitney, which is very much the call of God on his life. And the church there is in something of an in-between time. What it needs is for... uh, Well, let me put it this way. I believe that whether it's people from here or from elsewhere, there are people... There are children of God, there are Christians who are going to be in these communities as they form and playing a part in laying the foundation for all that is to come. And at the moment, it's not clear who those people are. So what I'd like to invite you to do is to pray that God would speak to the people that need to join. And it would be great if some of those people went and joined existing churches in the run-up to this incredible transformation of the town, so that the churches can not only be stretched, but on the front foot as they respond to this incredible change. Does that make sense? If God starts to speak to you about moving to Bista, I'd like to hear. I'd like to connect you up. And uh, that's part of the reason, in fact, that I'm sharing this this morning, is in the hope that God will start to speak to some of us about being part of what is an incredible, incredible growth in the community of Oxfordshire and that I believe he wants us corporately to be right at the heart of. Is that clear enough as to what to pray? Uh, Can I encourage you to get into groups of three or four and pray? Uh, If you're not used to praying with other people, you don't need to. Um, That's okay. Uh, But those of us that would like to, and I know it will be most of us, let's Gather together and pray for God's kingdom to come in Bista.